Hey everybody, I'm Francesca Maxime and this is Wise Girl. It is July 12th. It is a pretty steamy day here in New York City, but I'm joined by a very special guest who is currently on the West Coast, Simon Moya-Smith. He is an Oglala, Lakota, and Chicano journalist. He currently writes for NBC News Think, the opinion section of NBC. And Moya Smith is a former staff writer of the Rocky Mountain News, the Denver Post, and NBC News. He's currently writing more opinion work. He's lectured at numerous universities on the subject of contemporary Native America and appeared as a pundit on TV networks like Fox News, NPR, and CNN. Simon, thank you so much for joining us on Wise Girl. Happy to see you today. Thanks for having me. So, Simon, the reason why I wanted to have you on is because, uh, obviously, I have known you for a couple of years because we met when I was interviewing you for my previous show, Arise News Weekend, which is the broadcast TV show, and now I have a little bit more latitude to discuss uh, some of the deeper aspects of what you were talking about then, which I think is um, something everybody needs to kind of talk about. My audience is sort of waking, as I was describing to you uh, off, uh, off air, folks who are sort of coming into awareness about things that they are not totally conscious of. And some of that is personal habits, things that they do that, you know, just happen in their day-to-day -day lives. And some of it is beliefs that they may not even be aware that they hold when it pertains to things like um, Native American people. So um, that's why you're here. You're the, uh, you're the journalist and the expert on that. And so thank you. I wanted to start by asking you this question. Um, in the work that you're doing now, currently for NBC News, the opinion pieces, what is it that you find yourself uh, writing the most about and what's top of mind current today? Um, right now, uh, it's more or less because of, you see the Trump um, zero tolerance situation, um, reminding people that if you are from Europe, you are a colonist, you are an invader, you are a settler. Uh, we use a language like invader, but these are indigenous people. Um, in my language, in Lakota, Spayola means the people of the South. So we didn't approve of that border. And these are indigenous kids. And one, one story that, that got lost in, in the mix of everything was that there are kids and families that don't speak English or Spanish. They speak Mayan. They speak Mayan, um, like that, what is the, there's like, I can't remember how many uh, dialects there are, but they were like, we need all the dialects. And if, and if somebody can please come down here and help us in that front, then maybe we can get more of these kids and more of these parents to understand what is exactly happening to them. So it's the idea that these are indigenous families, indigenous families being separated like they were separated north of the border um, 150 years ago. Now we have to remember that Indian reservations were first founded as prison camps. So this idea that people are referencing Hitler, when all, I mean, that's ridiculous. All you have to do is reference the United States because we had prison camps 150 years, or excuse me, we had a prison camps 80 years prior to Auschwitz in this United States. That's right. That's a lot right there. So let's, let's sort of piece that apart a, t a tiny bit. Um, when you're talking about prison camps, uh, when you're talking about that here, 80 years before Auschwitz, you're talking about what's currently known as Native American reservations. Mm -hmm. So yep. explain how that began, not as a reservation, not as uh, what we might think of as where Native American peoples just live and reside mm -hmm. and have territory today as a place to, to be, but rather this place of incarceration and oppression. Right. Well, it was, they considered, they, just like today, they, you know, they use the Bible 
and Bible passages to justify the separation of families. Well, it was they did the same thing. They justified the Bible, and that's why you had they justified the separation of families and the incarceration and the forced removal of people of indigenous people utilizing the Bible like a prop, whatever you know. But they've done it since time immemorial, ever since you know 1492. So. This is one of those reliving history situations. Um, it was called the Indian problem, and that was actually a U.S. policy. And they wanted to know, how are we going to get rid of Native Americans? And they were like, okay, well, I guess what we can do is we can incarcerate them. We can throw them in these spaces. And it's, I mean, a lot of people don't know that the whole state of Oklahoma, there are maps where people can see, and it's just blotted out. And people are like, why is Oklahoma all blotted out? We're like, well, that's Indian territory. It was a whole section, whole swath of this country was to incarcerate indigenous people um, because we were a threat. I mean, we have to look at the whole picture. Uh, Trump is talking about a database for Muslims. Well, there's already a database in this country and there was a database for natives. They considered us a threat. That's why I have a license, uh, a driver's license number, a social security number and an enrollment number. That's a database. Um, we're talking about what is it, a travel ban. Well, Native Americans weren't allowed to leave the spaces that we were put in because white people considered it a threat. If any Native American stepped off this prison camp territory, they were considered off the reservation. How many people still use that language today? Actually, Hillary Clinton did in reference to Donald Trump during the campaign. She said, I'm, I'm used to dealing with men off, who go off the reservation. That is rooted in a time where there was a travel ban because white people were scared that if Indians left the prison camp territory, that they would be um, in, in some sort of danger, which was just a lot of propaganda in journalism. And um, again, that's why I, you know, I got into journalism to correct the narrative, not to change it, but to correct it. But I always remember it is a white institution. It's not an institution that is founded in Indian country. We had scouts, but we didn't have this. So this is just a way for me to correct the narrative and talk back. Yeah, and I think that you do terrific work about that and um, are really articulate on the subjects that you talk about. And so I'm grateful to have you here. So let's walk it back a little bit more. Um, there were, first of all, I think that everybody thinks that uh, Native American people are in monolithic. They or you know North American that that yeah. uh, you know there aren't different nations or different mm -hmm. folks and so let people know from a very basic educational standpoint who was here in North America uh, you know especially in the United States but in Canada you were talking about south of the border now but in general who was here and then when did uh, Europeans come why did they come and then what happened because the mm -hmm. story that we know uh, from you know that we talk about on Thanksgiving isn't necessarily the uh, the picture no. that, that you would say no no um well again the sad part is there were millions and millions and millions and millions of indigenous people on this continent before christopher columbus came um but uh, as a consequence of imperialism as a consequence of um warfare and but also deliberate genocide our numbers have significantly significantly dwindled um, since that time period. I mean, if you look at anthropologically speaking, how we went from being 100% the majority on this continent to being the smallest racial minority in our ancestral land is just, it, it should like blow your mind. I mean, there are more African Americans, there are more Asians, there are more, they're just, we are the smallest racial minority in our ancestral land. We can't go and like the Germans and the Italians and the Irish, they like to talk about going back to their old country. Well, this is our old country. 
and we don't have the luxury to go back. This is it. This is where, this is where we're from. Um, and then if we're going to go back and talk about why we white people came here, well, of course, everybody knows that Christopher Columbus wasn't looking for the United States and he never stepped foot on what is now the continental United States. He ended up down there in the Caribbean by the Taino people. And that's where he started to wreak havoc. And, you know, he would hang 13 Native Americans at a time, indigenous people at a time, uh, one for every 12 apostle, one more for Jesus Christ. They would test the sharpness of their blades on the flesh of men, women, and children. They would throw babies, pull babies from their mothers and feed them to their dogs. I mean, these were brutal people. So that's why every year when we're talking about Columbus Day, we, we have to remind them that this, this guy actually wrote it down in his journal. This, this is not opinion. This is not conjecture. He wrote down what he did and he had contemporaries writing down what he did. They had contemporaries, Bartolome de las Casas, who said that he should be in chains and he should be taken back to Europe in chains. And he was. He was ultimately taken back to Europe in chains for what he did to the indigenous peoples. Now, if we fast forward to those that came uh, to what we would consider Plymouth Rock, they were escaping religious persecution, but yet they turn around and persecuted indigenous peoples because we prayed a different way. Because we just said, cool, that's your God. That's fine. You live your life. Don't worry about it. But yet they persecuted you know, indigenous peoples because we wouldn't convert to Christianity. Now, when they came here, they didn't know diddly shit. They didn't know how to farm. And the story in Europe was that you can go to the new world. You can dig maybe two, three times and you'll find gold. So literally these people were just haphazardly digging holes, thinking they were going to find gold and the dipshits weren't farming. Well, winter comes, you have no food, you have no shelter, you have nothing. So without us helping them, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have survived the first winter. They all would have perished. And not only did they, they just haphazardly dig, they were grave robbers. And not only did they rob the graves because they were starving, they would eat the flesh off the indigenous people that were dead and in our, our ancestors in the soil. So all of this is a whitewashed bullshit narrative that is told in schools, told at universities. It's still told every Thanksgiving. It's told in the American narrative of how people came here. It's very romantic. But no, it's aggressive toward indigenous people. It's racist toward indigenous people. And it's, it's, it's racial superiority. And that's how they justified it. Divine right, manifest destiny, leaning on the Bible and also saying we're white, so we're superior. And they weren't. And they weren't. If, and I like to say it's, we weren't the savages. They were the savages. Right, right. Um, clearly what you described is savage behavior by any account. Um, talking a little bit about uh, what you said about uh, the nomenclature, if you will, the slurs, the, the slang that has come up for, for a lot of folks off the reservation. What are some of the other things that are, um, again, below the level of awareness that people could bring into consciousness that may be part of the vernacular, part of what they see or say or do that um, is just really a no-no if you want to be conscious? Um, well, I mean, it goes across the board. I mean, people still use, like we were just saying, phrases like uh, off the reservation. That's, please don't say that. Any, take that out of your nomenclature. That, that, that's reminders of a very aggressive and hostile time when the prison camps were first starting. Um, we also don't want to use the R word, you know, uh, the name of the Washington football team, which means proof of Indian kill, dead Indians. Um, there's a lot more to that story. People just think, when they think of Native American scalps, they also think of natives doing the scalping, but that's actually not accurate. 
um, how scalping happened is, think of it this way. I mean, it's actually kind of logical. White people bald pretty quickly. White men. So when these people were coming over, they liked our hair. So what they would do is they would scalp indigenous people and our people thought, and I'm speaking broadly, when I say our people, it's not a pan-Indian thing. I'm just talking about indigenous people of this continent who face these European encroachers and invaders. They thought that if they scalp our hair, maybe they'll make some money and they did. So as the indigenous people, we thought that that's how they, they noticed a victory. So Indians, indigenous people started scalping them and then the practice was just put on in indigenous people. But they started scalping us before we even started scalping them. We just followed in turn. How do they recognize a victory? I guess we scalp them. Um, but when we talk about the R word specifically, I mean, you have the American Psychological Association in 2005, way you know, more than 10 years ago now, who called for the abolishment, the immediate abolishment of Native American mascots and names because it harms the mental health and stability of Native kids who are already prone to suic suicidal tendencies, to uh, substance abuse, to depression. So this isn't just about being PC. This is about the mental health and stability of the next generation. And on top of that, people don't even know the history of how, how would you know that a scalp taken from an indigenous person was a male? Well, they would scalp a woman's pelvic region to prove that it came from a woman. And they would also scalp children. So this isn't just about grown men fighting each other and white men scalping, you know, warriors. No, they would literally scalp anybody so they can make a buck. And that's the history of the term, which is in the District of Columbia, Columbia meaning Christopher Columbus. So in the District of Christopher Columbus, who led a genocide against indigenous people, the sports mascot is the R word, which means dead Indians. Connect the dots. That's all. Right. And so this is something that is embedded in the culture um, of today, including with uh, the ways in which uh, a lot of folks are conditioned and talked about uh, when it comes to a cultural appropriation, talking about, uh, you know, things like jewelry and dress. And for those who want to be more conscious of this, who are not, and who may not think it's such a big deal to wear uh, certain kinds of uh, garb, tell me why it's just not right. Um, I think it's important that people understand. So for example, I'm, um, Oglala Lakota, I'm enrolled Oglala Lakota, but I can't wear a headdress. Just because I'm Oglala doesn't mean I get to wear a headdress. I haven't earned the right. Once I earn the right, then I'll be able to wear it. But when you wear these faux feather, you know, chicken feather headdresses at these, these concerts or on Thanksgiving or on Halloween, what you're doing is mocking what would be the equivalent of our, let's call it a medal of honor. And so put it that way, you wouldn't go around a whole bunch of veterans with a fake medal of honor and say, no, 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 but I'm honoring you. Be like, no, 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 no. You're mocking what that represents and what people have sacrificed to earn that medal. And so for us, the eagle feather, the headdresses are representative of something that you did of your status, of your, your, your sacrifice. So when we explain that to people, you know, again, and I've said this a million times, if I said it once, whenever we present any of this information, whether it be the Washington football team name, whether it be cultural appropriation, whether it be uh, police brutality in Indian country, natives are per capita more likely to die at the hands of police than any other demographic. When we bring this information, it makes people uncomfortable. But when you tell somebody to take a headdress off, you're and you give them the information you're either going to get um humble acceptance or aggressive denial nowhere in between 
humbly. Some people accept the information, take the headdress off and say, you know, I just didn't know. And they recognize that maybe they have been indoctrinated by the school system and by the United States with myth-made bullshit, and they just genuinely don't know. And then there's others that aggressively deny it. And I have been in situations where one time this last November on Thanksgiving at the Washington football team game where I led a protest, an African-American male, the patriarch of the family, said to me, he goes, well, I have a Hopi friend and he doesn't have a problem with it. And so that point, it was like I, I tried to dial it back and say, look, you probably just don't know, but this is extremely offensive. But it didn't change his perspective. He says, I appreciate your opinion, but it's not opinion. This is an opinion. This is me literally telling you that this is offensive and I'm telling you why it's offensive and I'm giving you actual facts, not just opinion. So, and, and I think that's also part of the discussion that's left out. We have to go up against the LGBTQ community who are fans of the Cleveland Indians or they're fans of the, the Chiefs or the Blackhawks. We have to go up against Latinos. We have to go up against women. We have to go up against veterans. We have to go up against African-Americans with these facts because there is sports privilege. It's their religion. A lot of these people, you know, it, it comes down to their sports. It's sports fanaticism. It's their community. It's their dad's team. It's their mom's team. Their grandpa loved the Cleveland Indians, and that's always going to be my team. And all you Indians, you know, we've heard it from every creed, every color, every sex. And that's the sad part. We're the only race of people in this country that everybody justifies that, that form of racism. You can have an African-American patriarch and an LGBTQ activist tell you why you're just being PC and it happens. So, and it's also sad that we are the only race of people can piss off everybody by walking into say a sports bar and being native. If you go in there and it's a Cleveland Indians bar or a Chicago Blackhawks bar or Kansas City Chiefs bar or anything, just our race alone can piss off that table over there with African-Americans or piss that table off over there with women, piss that table off over there because we are invading their good time. So a lot of this work is really about tolerating discomfort. A lot of the work that I've been doing is about tolerating, finding an ability to learn how to tolerate discomfort within oneself with, yeah. self, with regulating one's own nervous system, which real, you know, when you realize like, oh, I'm getting hot right now, like what's going on, you know, gee, you know, can I be mindful of what my next response is going to be as opposed to my yeah. reaction. And so this is playing out on a larger level in terms of being able to expand the capacity for what it is that people can hold to be more inclusive and be more fair. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to sort of, you know, Again, the moral arc of uh, the universe is long, but it bends towards justice, as uh, Dr. King said. So hopefully, you know, these kinds of conversations will at least invite a few more people into changing or perhaps inviting the conversation to change uh, behavior going forward. So you mentioned a couple of things you, that you're... Um, Lakota, you also mentioned Hopi. Talk to people about the fact that Native American is not just... Um, you know, it's like Hispanic, yeah. right? I could say I'm Hispanic, but me being Dominican isn't the same as someone else who's Puerto Rican isn't the same who's... So what does this mean to be Native American and to be of a particular nation? Sure. Yeah, I'm Oglala Lakota, but I'm also Chicano. So just like you were saying, somebody says Hispanic and I go to New, you know, in New York, I'm in Los Angeles right now. So I'm surrounded by Chicanos, but over there in New York, you know, I'm around Dominicans and it's completely different, right? You know, we just share maybe Spanish and, you know, being minorities in this country, but culturally it's very different. And you could find the same thing in Indian country, like I'm Oglala Lakota, but 
I couldn't speak Oglala to an Oneida. I couldn't speak Sem a Seminole, and I could only probably communicate in English. Um, you're, you're talking about more than 570 federally recognized tribes. That means the United States government recognizes this tribe or this this group as a tribe or as a nation. That doesn't go. That is even throwing the state recognized. New Jersey doesn't recognize uh, Lenny Lenape, the first peoples of Manhattan. Um, so there's state recognition, there's federal recognition, and then there's no recognition at all, which sucks. You could be 100% indigenous um, of this continent, and if the United States doesn't doesn't recognize you, you know, you're not a federally recognized tribe. Um, and sometimes it comes with certain benefits, to be honest. I mean, there's a lot of self-sustaining tribes that operate casinos and it provides, you know, money to the community and, and a certain level of, of, of life and wellness to that community. Um, so we're just so, I mean, we have different languages, different spiritualities, different dances, different, I mean, my people, our creation story comes out of the Black Hills, where our story is that we came out of the Black Hills, which is why it's so egregious when people are just camping and scaling it. And, you know, it's like, imagine some people doing that to, um, you know, in Jerusalem or, you know, anywhere where that's their, their sacred territory. Um, so being that diverse is not a part of the discussion because there is that pan-Indian idea. There is the Edward Curtis black and white photos. And so we're just trying to get people to recognize how diverse we are, that we're not all the same. Um, my people are referenced a lot because my, I come from the people of Crazy Horse. I come from the people of Sitting Bull. I come from, you know, as Lakotas. Um, but having people recognize us as just one makes it very difficult, makes it very difficult to talk about sovereignty. How I was born in Denver, but I am American and not American at the same time. I have a you know, dual citizenship, even though I was born in Denver because of the, the, the database, because of the Indian census rolls. That goes back to me having a, um, a social security number, but also having a uh, enrollment number. So, and it's, it's, it's extremely important that people just don't you know, look at you and say, oh, you're a native and then just think you're this one way. And it's not, there are natives out there grow massive beards and yet there's natives out there with short hair there's natives sitting in cars drinking lattes and then going to ceremony i mean we're very diverse we're modern people but if you google african-american you'll see modern images of african-americans if you google asian-american you google latino you google white you just google it you'll see modern images right away google american indian google native american black and white photos, half naked, sitting on a horse, headdresses, very much of yester century, yester, yester century. We're talking about the 1800s. But we're, that's why we're trying to get people to recognize not only are we more than 570 federally recognized tribes, not including state, but also we're very diverse. We're here wearing modern clothes, driving modern cars, doing modern things, but also very traditional. We go to our ceremonies, we go to the Inipis, we go to Sundance, we pray in the morning, we pray at night. I mean, it's, it's, we're only right now being recognized as, as people who exist that we didn't die off. And that's really scary when you think about it, that people have a really like, what, what do we, I mean, I was sitting down with NPR Code Switch and their job is to cover in, you know, issues of people of color. And they had to ask us, so what do we call you? I mean, it literally is Indian 101 in 2018. People don't know how to reference us. They don't know anything about us. So I just encourage people, whatever you think you know about natives, get rid of it and start over again because it is full of so much bullshit. 
Right. Aside from everything I've presented today. Well, well, I was just about to say, besides, that's, you know, why we're doing this today. Um, that's yeah. why you're, you know, giving your time and I'm trying to share it with the folks that I know who care about these things. And where would you start? Is there a primer? Is there a particular resource that you think might be a one-stop shopping that's good? Mm -hmm. Is there a particular website? Is there um, a newsletter subscription that somebody might be able to look at? Clearly they can find you and I will share your information later, but. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, the easy, I don't know how people are consuming uh, their media, you know, from, from day to day, but I would say you can start with Twitter and just go hashtag native Twitter. Um, and that is a hashtag is where we, we kind of have a lot of our conversations. And then you can start following all these indigenous people on uh, Twitter where you can hear us responding to something that happens in real time. You know, here's Donald Trump talking or referencing um, Elizabeth Warren as Pocahontas. And you get to see the indigenous response in real time, people saying why that is problematic. Um, anything that happens, anything that's breaking news, you will have indigenous people now in your pocket, you know, responding to, to something that's happening. So you don't have to go to any specific website. You can watch it as it's happening. So hashtag native Twitter, and that way you can follow a lot of the um, native people who utilize social media. And then also, you know, on Instagram, I mean, it's like Instagram's booming right now. And that's where you can find also a lot of indigenous people um, utilizing that platform. Um, and hashtag native Twitter is a great, great place to start. Great, great. That's great to know. Um, so another thing that I think is worth mentioning is that, um, you know, this is a personal anecdote that I mentioned to you, but I'm going to repeat it for the purposes of the recording, is that people who claim to be waking, people who claim to be mindful, people who claim to be meditation teachers or otherwise working in this kind of a field where, you know, there's sort of an emphasis on uh, becoming aware of that which we're not aware, have expressed to me uh, about Native Americans, but well, about actually, I should say, indigenous people in Canada, our sister to the north. Uh, that, for example, we've thrown all this money. We've tried to, you know, establish housing. We've tried to make uh, there be a nice space for, uh, you know, the indigenous folks here in Canada. And everything gets vandalized. Nobody takes care of anything. The money keeps on going down the drain. So why am I spending my tax dollars on? Uh, trying to basically rectify a situation that can't be rectified. So, you know, there's this person who I really would like to have you, if you could speak to her, what would you say? I think it's kind of ridiculous that the guest is telling them, you know, I'm giving you space. That lady's not the indigenous person of this continent, of, 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 the, of, the of this continent or of Canada. So I think it's audacious for her to say as the, and she doesn't recognize this, as the invader, whether or not you came on the boat yourself from Europe and invaded indigenous territories and took up land yourself, you are still the beneficiary of aggressive, aggressive Indian removal. And you have the audacity to talk to the, indig talk to the indigenous people that way in that condescending tone and say, why don't they take care of themselves while not taking in into consideration the generations after generation of trauma from what their people did that some of these people are still suffering from what is now called intergenerational trauma along with the, own, the trauma that they're facing today. And this woman has the audaciousness to say, well, we're doing what we can for you. You're not really, I mean, we give you the, I gave you a great home. It's like, who are you to give us a home? This is our home. This is our ancestral home. And the only reason people are suffering from intergenerational trauma is because they came and wreaked havoc 
So I think it, this person needs to take her, like check her privilege at the door. I mean, there's issues that we need to address first. You guys came in and did some shit and we need to address that before you think you can come over, build a house and say, there you go. So we have, that's even here in the United States. People say the same thing about indigenous people in the United States. Why don't they just move off the reservation and move to the city and get with it? Well, it's our ancestral territory. You left Europe, you left London, you left Ireland. You don't have the same ancestral ties to this land. And I think that's what people miss here in the United States. People like to talk about America and I'm sure they like to say that up there, you know, Canada, but wait a minute, you have no ancestral tie to this land whatsoever. So your affection for it is, is more of a colonialist, um, a, a foreigner's love of a new land versus ours is sacred. You, people won't, my people won't leave our, our territory because it's, it's been our territory since time immemorial. And so for this woman to, to say that, I think that, that demonstrates white privilege, that demonstrates that she doesn't know what her people have done to the indigenous people up there and they're suffering from things like murdered and missing indigenous women. They're dealing with shit with, you got Trudeau buying a pipeline. I mean, in violating treaties. I mean, it's, it's the idea that people like that still exist and they're so goddamn naive frustrates me. Right, well, okay. So then, um, not okay, but I mean, okay. With yeah. points being made. Um, to me, there's a couple more things that I want to address. Um, one is money, systemic, mm -hmm. um, you know, the economics behind all of this, because mm -hmm. that's really kind of what it was about in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, you know, what it continues to be about in many cases uh, today mm -hmm. about racism in general, whether it includes genocide or uh, the enslavement of people or both. Um, talk a little bit about the economics behind what got us here and what might be a rebalancing. You mean what got us here in the sense of... Um, Why like was the genocide of American peoples necessary in order for America as is to become what it was? Well, I mean, again, that's why that's that the term the United States said the, you know, there's an Indian problem and in that they actually said that natives are in the way of progress because we, unlike Christians, and when you open up the Bible in the first few pages in Genesis, it says subdue the land. And subdue is a bad word. I mean, really it is. I mean, who, would you subdue your mother? Would you subdue your friend? Would you subdue your kids? Who, subdue is not a good word. You know, that's, that's the difference is like, we don't subdue the earth. It's, it's, it's mother earth. You walk gently on mother earth. You don't, you know, dig holes where you're going to frack and leave chemicals in the water and where everybody and everything gets sick. And that's the problem is that the Christians, when they came here, didn't see the land as a living family member or a relative that we're dependent on the earth. The earth is not dependent on us at all. George Carlin said, and he goes, the earth is fine. He goes, we're fucked. And he says, it's going to shake us off like a bad case of the fleas, a surface nuisance. And that's how I think that when, when we have these ideological discussions, that's how the bifurcation really began, at least um, fiscally. Like they thought, no, we can, you know how much money we can make? I mean, it's a John Locke idea, right? John Locke said that if you're not tilling the soil, if you're not making money from the land, then that land is a waste. And that's not true. That's not true. The land is not a waste if you're not profiting from it. It's an extremely capitalistic perspective, but it's also extremely 
um, irresponsible. We have the seven generation rule. You have to make important decisions thinking of seven generations ahead. But these people only think what? Their grandkids. They don't care what happens to their grandkids' grandkids. It's not their problem. They're going to be dead and gone. But we don't think that's not, we don't think that way. That's a very limited perspective. So when we are talking about fighting for our rights, our sovereignty, it's also about fighting for the land. It's also about protecting the water and protecting the next generation. It's not here for us to subdue. It's not here for us to exploit. It's here so that we can take care of it because it take cares of uh, it takes care of us. Right. Um, and it's just that, that different perspective, the Western white way and our way isn't to exploit or subdue, theirs is. Well, for profit. One is more balance and coexistence, and the other one is more um, extraction. One is more generative, right. and the other take, one... Take, take. Just right. take. That's all it is. Just take. And that's why in our language, uh, we don't have a word for white people. Um, it just means the greedy people. It, that's, so washichu means the greedy people. So it wasn't about skin tone. It wasn't about them being from Europe. It was their characteristic. These people come and they take and they take and they take. And now they do the same thing. They want to take land so they can build more pipelines. They take your spirituality and they sell it in places like London and down in New Mexico. They take your, your eagle feathers. They take everything, the cultural appropriation. So they haven't stopped taking. And we, we're, we're like, <laughs> when do you finally just say, when is enough enough? But it doesn't seem that enough is enough. They just want more. And so that's why you also do find a lot of indigenous people not allowing them to come to our certain ceremonies because we're afraid that they're going to take it and they're going to sell it. You can literally go online right now and find people selling in Nipi ceremonies, sweat lodge ceremonies in London, outside of London, in, in England. They do it in Paris. People are taking our spiritualities, they take our culture, and they just sell it. They think it's something to profit from. So we're talking about money. We're talking about disparities. They think that they can buy and sell everything. There's an old Indian story where they were like, if you think that you can buy, if you think that this land is yours, then you have to take it with you when you leave. And you can't. And that's pretty significant when you think about it. You can't own the land. We didn't own the land. We lived here. But they didn't care. They're like, well, they say they don't own the land. We can take it. So it's just a difference in ideology. It's a difference of respect. Live with the land. Living with the land and living with um, where we are right now. I mean, from a mindful mindfulness perspective, uh, you know, the the main afflictions are greed, hatred, and delusion. And mm. you know, from what um, you know, the the Buddha taught. 2700 years ago the root cause of suffering is ignorance basically that you're not um, seeing things clearly for what they are and that that of course then will cascade into a whole realm of uh, problems which can include all of what you just uh, elucidated because the idea of dissatisfactoriness or what they call dukkha is that we continue to um, want something want to believe something that that isn't actually the way things are. Um, and so this idea of being able to have an extraction-based mentality uh, and have that be sustainable is just uh, at a fundamental level uh, incorrect in that way. Uh, you did mention um, spirituality and you did mention uh, this idea of appropriation. And yet at the same time, I feel like there are some folks who are doing things, uh, I would say correctly, if you will, in that regard, to try and reteach people that which they have lost or introduce to people 
something that may ground them enough to be able to move toward and be with uh, that may be beneficial. So could you talk a little about um, where it might be helpful? Because I know in some of the white awake training, for example, I've gotten European ancestors have been invited to go back to looking at their own roots as to, well, what were your cultural, uh, you know, sort of ceremonies back in whatever your, you know, Western European country were, what were they then? Could you return to them? Might you be able to incorporate them again in a way that's nourishing and generative so you're not exploitative, for, for example, or feeling so isolated and lonely and disconnected, which can often then breed more of um, the greed that you just mentioned. So what can we do? Is there anything that, that can be done to find, um, you know, a connection here in that spiritual way, that deeper way moving forward? I mean, it's good as long as you don't supermarket shop it. You know, there's those that are ethnically bankrupt and they just, oh, I'll take a little Buddhism here. All right. Ooh, yummy yoga. Ooh, Native American. Mm. And they just take it. And it's, it's not for you to take. It's there to benefit people, but it's not for you to just take it. And then when somebody has a problem with you buying a sage bundle from Whole Foods, you have to listen to the people and tell you why that's bad medicine when you go to Whole Foods and you buy sage or what they call a sage wand and then you try to bless your house. That's actually negative. You're supposed to either pick the sage or it's supposed to be gifted to you. So that's what I'm talking about. We're not saying that we don't want you to bless your house. We're not saying that we don't want you to smudge yourself, which is blessing yourself with sage. It's just the way people go about it. They think that they can take it and do anything they want with it. Or if they're trying to maybe, I don't know, learn it and then give it back to the people, great. But do you have permission? You have to get permission to do these certain things. Remember, I'm Oglala Lakota. There are things I can't do. If you're Catholic, you can't put on the Pope's miter. You can't put on a clerical collar. You can't lead mass. There are things you have to do. So people, but when it comes to indigenous people, you can, Look at all the trading posts. You go to Colorado. I, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles right now, but I hear there's trading posts if you go closer to hippie country. And that's seriously, I mean, problematic because you're, actually, you're profiting not only off our spirituality, but off our culture, while a lot of our people are suffering in, in you know, they're, they're in poverty. But there are things you don't sell and there are things you don't do. And one of the things you don't do is take our spirituality, take our culture, profit from it, no matter if you're doing it from a good place. What's that old Christian phrase? Uh, phrase? You know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. That's kind of the situation when I see people and they, they have the sage wand or they're selling the sage or they have dream catchers hanging in their car. I mean, it's just, again, it, it's, it's, I understand there's good intentions, there are things that people need to know what not to do. Yeah, and you mentioned this a little bit too in terms of the public health of um, Native peoples in the country and this, uh, mm -hmm. on this continent really, but uh, when it comes to poverty, uh, you just mentioned mm -hmm. disease, addiction, alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Talk mm -hmm. about, uh, and even incarceration, like you said, and um, mortality rates at the, at the hands of, um, of uh, police. Uh, talk oh, about yeah. Talk about those kinds of issues as they pertain to Native peoples that people may want to know more about. Um, it depends. I mean, there's murder to missing Indigenous women that's happening right now north of the border in Canada where, um, and I think people miss this, this is also part of the conversation where they're, they're um, building more pipelines and they're doing more fracking. They're called man camps. 
So a lot of these um, oil-filled workers are living in these man camps, and then at night, they're kind of let loose. They're out there with all this testosterone and alcohol, and then women go missing. Women have, I mean, I really encourage your, your viewers to look up man camps and I want them to look up the hashtag MMIW, Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women. And they can see the conversation that's happening um, around these man camps and the dehumanization of these indigenous women who are dying. They're being raped, they're being murdered and they're going missing. Um, here in the United States, indigenous women are 2.5 times more likely to be sexually assaulted than women of any other demographic. That's why it's so problematic around uh, Halloween when there's these very sexy Pocahontas costumes. That is the hypersexualization of indigenous women who are already, again, 2.5 times more likely to be sexually assaulted and the dehumanization of, of, of indigenous women. Um, native, natives on the whole are more likely to die at the hands of police than any other demographic. Um, you can look that up as well. There's a lot of, there's so many different cases. There was the case of Alan Locke several years ago was well, the day prior was at a march against police brutality. The next day he was shot and killed by a uh, police officer. There's the case of um, Sarah Lee Circle Bear who died in a prison cell even though she was crying for help. And she died in that prison cell. There's Paul Castaway. Paul Castaway in Denver was suffering from a mental illness. And instead of subduing him in that, that way of like making sure that he didn't hurt himself or other people, they just lit him up and they killed him. Um, he was not a threat to them. He had a knife to his own throat. So obviously he was suicidal. And then boom, they take him down. There are so many cases. There was a case, I believe it was Washington, where they had handcuffed this indigenous man. He was sitting on the tire. He was leaned against the tire and they kept tasing him and punching him. They killed another Native American who was deaf, who was a woodworker because he had a knife. He was a deaf woodworker. He worked, that's what he did. He whittled wood and they shot and killed him. These are the stories that go unspoken so often in the mainstream conversation because there are no Natives in the mainstream. I mean, I challenge people to go, oh, that Native American reporter, yeah, I really like his show or her show. We don't have that space. So these disparities, when it comes to depression in our, in our, with our youths, when it comes to substance abuse, when it comes to poverty. I mean, my reservation, uh, the Pine Ridge, life expectancy for a man, I believe is 47. And I think women are 52. That may have changed, um, but it's very low. I mean, most people's parents are like 47. You know, some people are having kids at 47 and 52. And ours, that's, that's nearly the end or the end. So it's, it's uncomfortable uncomfortable for people to have this conversation because they want to know why or they just how did this happen well it started in 1492 well it started in 1776 well it started with a thing called manifest destiny now these things are celebrated around thanksgiving christopher columbus day um and people go completely ignorant and then when we tell them they're surprised but you're they're not they're not going to stop celebrating thanksgiving they're not going to immediately try to do something about the murdered and missing indigenous women, but we hope they would. We just are trying to include us, uh, include these situations in the American conversation because that's the only way that these are going to, the problems are going to get fixed.
And the last thing I'll leave um, with is in terms of allyship or partnership, because, um, you know, there's a lot of marginalized communities, some of which you mm -hmm. alluded to earlier, that are dealing with very particular problems. And mm -hmm. um, I just want you to remind, number one, what percentage of the U.S. population is Native American right now? Um, mm -hmm. Roughly how many Native American people do live here in the country? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then two, whatever suggestions you might have in terms of allyship or partnership is the better word I like to say. Mm -hmm. um, um, in terms of maybe taking communities that have otherwise been marginalized and finding ways of common connection and, and recognizing differences, um, but also finding uh, common ways to move forward, perhaps. Well, right now, more than 70% of uh, indigenous or, or quote-unquote Native Americans um, live in big cities. Uh, we have to look at the nomenclature we were talking about a moment ago. Indigenous peoples are also Mexicans. Indigenous peoples are also First Nations in Canada. So you have indigenous people south of the border, indigenous people north of the American border. But when we're using language like Native American, what we're doing is giving reference to natives on reservations and native off reservations. So before we just say Native American and ignore the Mayans and the Yaquis and the Aztecs, and you see what I mean, the Tarahumara, those are indigenous nations as well, indigenous tribes. But here in what is the continental United States, more than 70% of Native Americans live um, in big cities, but we are still still small the smallest racial minority. I believe it's 5.2 million So that makes us roughly between 1 and 2% of the total population So that's why many you know, we we don't get referenced in a lot of these social statistics studies If you can go to Huffington Post or CNN, it'll usually white black Hispanic Latino and that's where it stops Or excuse me white black Hispanic Asian and that's where it stops um so having that small minority does work against us when we're trying to have these conversations on a broader scale, especially in the mainstream or get, you know, thrown into any statistic. I just saw one this morning about uh, disparities in housing and they're like African-Americans and Hispanics are less like, and I'm like, see, that's where you stopped. You didn't add natives. You didn't add in the indigenous people of this continent or this, this uh, United States, these United States. So with, with, regard to allyship, I think it's just more important that people take a step back. Even if you think you're a quarter Cherokee or that your family's Blackfoot, that doesn't really give you that native experience. You know, that's what Rachel Dolezal was all about, right? She was like trying to feign that she had this black experience. So she claimed a black identity, but she wasn't black. She was raised white. She lived in a white world with white parents. And so some people now with this 23andMe and Ancestry.com, they swab their mouth and all of a sudden they're the paragon of what is a Native American. That's not the case. They didn't grow up being called an Indian like I was. You weren't called, you know, when, when you were going around, you weren't, people weren't calling you chief or you, you know what I mean? It's like you can't appropriate somebody else's experience. So be an ally, but don't lose yourself in that. Some people become allies and all of a sudden, the next time you see them, they have braids and they're talking about, you know, my days on the reservation. You're like, holy shit. When I saw you, you had a blonde comb over, buddy. You know, and that's, you just tie a dial it back a little bit. Um, it's cool to be an ally, but there's also a limit. We had that at Standing Rock. White people were coming and they wanted to be an ally, but you're not supposed to be standing in front of us. Like they would be like at the front line and you're like, I get it, be at the front line, but we're all, this is about prayer. Like you need to take a step back and let the indigenous people lead this. This is an indigenous movement right now. 
be an ally, be on the front lines when the water cannons totally get that. But when it's prayer, you need to kind of dial it back and let the indigenous people who are leading this movement pray and um, do it in a good way, but be, be responsible. That's all it is. Just be responsible, especially when it's something you don't know. Do you think the fair way to say it might be one, ask, how can I help and not make assumptions um, about what might be helpful? And mm -hmm. two, to be willing to um, sort of do more education like on self, right? Like just sort of learn more by going to the hashtag that you mentioned and that kind yeah. of thing on your own. I think those are two kind of takeaways that people could do is come from the position of inquiry as opposed to assumption and then um, education as opposed to assuming that what they have learned is correct. Yeah, I think it, it is basic humility. You know, there are people out there that can teach you something. Um, there's an old phrase that I remember growing up with that uh, you were given two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen more. You're supposed to listen more. And, and if you give yourself that opportunity to just be humble, be responsible, and be respectful. Just think of it, you know, you're, you're going into somebody else's house. You don't go in there like you own the place. You don't take things from there to sell. You're going into somebody else's realm, somebody else's home. Be respectful. It's the basics. And that's all we're asking for people to do is just, especially allies, it's the basics. Stand with us, fight with us, share the information, but don't speak for us. You know, don't, don't run with a narrative like Elizabeth Warren about high cheekbones. I mean, there's a lot of people out there with high cheekbones who aren't native. That's not, that's not how you measure your indigeneity. That's not how you measure, you know, like, oh, look at that, maybe native, look, it's, I get dark. And, or, no, that's not how that works. So just being respectful and humble, especially in our, our spaces, since, for the majority of people, it's a very new world, new space. Yeah, it's a new space, and we're trying to invite people to enter it, you know, um, with a certain amount of humility and also with a certain amount of consciousness and just knowing that, like, okay, we're going to screw up sometimes and you're going to, you know, not, it's not going to be perfect all the time, but to also, like, not let that be the one thing that, that makes you give up either um, yeah. and not want to try again. The one thing that I did want to share before I would leave is that there's a website that I learned about through the White Awake course that I took, which was on sort of just looking at uh, the whole concept of whiteness and what does this mean, native hyphenland.ca native-land.ca and you punch in your zip code and it will tell you the native territory that you are on and so here where I am in Brooklyn it's Canarsie, Lenape, Delaware and Montauk and so it's not it's 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 an a nice, I will say nice in a, in, a, in a, you know, I'm aware of what that word means. It's a good way, I think, of at least grounding ourselves in the awareness that wherever we are actually located and situated is land that isn't just this land of Brooklyn or of Park Slope, where I currently am, but it's actually land that has ancestral um, roots that we can uh, nod to and be reminded of and perhaps learn more about. Yeah, no, yeah, everybody, if you're not Native, if you're not indigenous, you are a beneficiary of aggressive Indian removal. Yeah. On that note, I think that's where we're going to leave it. Um, Simon Moya Smith, uh, where can people find you on your website? Where are your writings and things? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, you can just Google my work. It shows up on uh, NBC News. It shows up on uh, previously CNN. Um, I did a show on NPR about Thanksgiving, so people could look that one up. And that's where I actually go into detail about the history of Thanksgiving 
and how uh, myth made and all the lies that are associated with that that very aggressive holiday. And actually, I go into what we do on Thanksgiving because that's a lot of question people. I mean, that's a common question. What do Native Americans do on Thanksgiving? And I answer that on that show or they could just find me on Twitter at Simon Moya Smith. All right, Simon, thanks so much for your time here on Wise Girl. Really appreciate it and uh, keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you. All right, take it easy.